Welcome to Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and I'll be showing you how average, everyday people have chosen to make positive changes in their life to accomplish what makes them happy. I hope this podcast will allow you to feel a connection with people who have something in common with you and make you realize you can have the life you want. podcast listeners. Today, my guest is Ivan Nenny. Welcome, Ivan, to the show. Thanks for having me, Carrie. So I know that you were recently crowned the Chief Experience Officer of Cancun.com. So congratulations on that. Can you tell us what that means? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, it means a lot of things. It means I get to pretend like I'm on vacation while I'm actually working really hard to create content for Cancun.com. Which is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. And I've seen some of your pictures already. I know you just got there fairly recently. And before we kind of get more into what you're doing with that, I want to go from kind of the very beginning uh, of how this whole thing started, because I've read some really interesting stuff on you. So you did go to college. And can you talk about kind of your college experience? And then when you were done with college, like what your next step was, was it wanting to travel or where did you kind of go from there? Yeah. So actually my, um, I guess I can't, I can't start with college. I have to go back a little bit further to high school. It was actually my senior year of high school. Um, and I was getting ready to graduate and I got invited to go on a senior cruise with a couple buddies. And, um, we went to Progresso, Cozumel, which is where I'm at right now, actually. And then Belize. And I got just a little taste of, uh, what traveling was like, what that freedom on the road was like, and what it was like to experience new cultures. And um, so that stuck with me throughout college. And so my last semester, I ended up studying abroad the semester I should have graduated from college. And, um, and that's just when everything flipped around. But I did, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how my life has evolved because uh, I, I did really well in college. I've always done really well in school. And so there was, there's always a sort of expectation that comes with that about what you should do. And, you know, vagabonding or being a travel bum isn't exactly what's on people's minds when they hear you graduated summa cum laude and, and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, so I graduated after like the semester after studying abroad. I just wanted to get done with school. I was on a travel high. And so uh, I would, but I also needed money because I was in debt and I needed a job. And just didn't know, you know, how I was going to you know, continue doing what I wanted to do um, after getting back from backpacking through Europe and everything. So luckily, I was uh, t- um, down in College Station, Texas, competing in a national flag football tournament because I was quite big in the intramural sports in college. And my friend sent me a link on Craigslist for a job traveling with a 12,000-pound Idaho potato. And I was like, wow, that is just so fitting so I did a lot of brand ambassador work and stuff throughout college. And um, so we applied and kind of tried to sell ourselves as a team, ended up getting the job. And I ended up doing it four out of the next five years. And it was perfect for me because it allowed me to basically save up all my money because all my expenses were paid for while I was traveling. And then also I had, it was only for six months out of the year or five to seven months. And then um, I had the rest of the time to travel and do my own thing. So it was really quite ideal. And it gave me a lot of tools to develop um, my skill set to where it is now, which obviously isn't, you know, perfect, but um, it, it was good enough to get me the job where I am now, which um, I think most would call a dream job. 
So let's go back to that Craigslist ad because the way you just described it sounds like it would be a scam. How did you know that this is an <laughs> actual job and what did that job actually entail? Well, you know, I, I like to think um, because people are always surprised when I say I found it on Craigslist or my friend found it on Craigslist. But, you know, I found a lot of great stuff on Craigslist. I know there's a lot of weird stuff on there, too. But um, so, I mean, I was used to finding gigs and, and little jobs on Craigslist at the time. So it didn't seem so outlandish to me. And um, and Idaho potatoes are big for those of you who know anything about Idaho. If there's if you know nothing else, you know about our potatoes. And so it made sense. But at the same time, there's a picture included in the ad that had a semi truck with a 12,000 pound potato on it. And it's about 28 feet long, 12 feet wide and 11 and a half feet tall. So, you know, it's a, you know, it looked fake, but, or it looked real, but I just knew it couldn't be. But it, the, the fact that there was a, a picture there made me think, Oh, maybe this is actually legit. Even if the potato itself isn't real. So you know, all you can do at that point is apply and hope that it is a real gig. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we apply. <laughs> so, yeah, so the gig is, the idea is for you guys to just travel across the country and what, people to take pictures with it? Like, what was kind of the idea of the actual job? So, I mean, at its base level, it's a branding tour. Um, most people don't think of, the, think of it, but uh, Idaho Potatoes is actually a brand. And it, it's a brand that, is, um, that represents a lot of different farmers and processors and stuff like that. Most people, actually, a lot of people think it's a type of potato. We'll be in Florida and people are like, oh, I grow Idaho potatoes at my house. I'm like, ah, that's not an Idaho potato. <laughs> um, it might be a russet, which is what we're known for. And it's about, uh, it's over 90% of the potatoes produced in Idaho. I used to know more of the potato facts. I've been out of the game for a little while now. So it was a branding tour to remind people where the best potatoes come from and create some goodwill. So we also had a philanthropic aspect to it as well. Um, so we're kind of giving back to our fans across the country. But basically, we, the hope is, you know, when you walk in the store and you're looking at all the potato options, you see that Idaho potato seal and you equate it with good memories and quality. And so um, that was really it. It's kind of like Idaho's version of the Wienermobile. And so we were the, the pioneers for the, the potato mobile or the big Idaho potato truck, um, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and so that was kind of the idea. So it was basically just a big photo opportunity, but then we were also the personality. So we had to be kind of in character for that whole time whenever we were around the truck. And we made videos, uh, wrote blog posts, um, did all the social media, did giveaways and contests at the truck and just kind of tried to create a great environment around it. And you know, eventually you just end up trying to convince people that it's real because you got to entertain yourself somehow because the number one question we got asked was, is it real? And uh, so we had to have a lot of fun with that to uh, keep ourselves entertained since we were answering the same questions on a day-to-day -day basis for five to seven months at a time. So you said, you know, when you were in college, you were a good student, you know, what did your family or your friends say when you said, okay, I did well in school. I like to travel, but I've decided to do this job where I'm going to drive a potato around as a brand ambassador. What was kind of the feedback you got at that point? I think they thought it was hilarious and thought it was a great opportunity. Um, it, I mean, it was, it was just a good transition. Um, I thought I'd probably only do it one year. And even after that first year, I was like, yeah, I'm never doing that again, just because it was, it was long and it was hard and, you know, it was a feeler year for everybody. And I, you know, it, there's just a lot, a lot of elements to it. That I was like, you know, I got, it was a good experience, but I think I'm done. But then it only got better, of course. Um, but uh, they, they were pretty supportive of it from what I remember. It's always hard looking back now because I know what they think now. They know it was an amazing opportunity and it got me 
to where I am now. But um, uh, at the time, I, I only I think that it was only support. Obviously, they were they were sad that I'd be gone for so long because it was a seven month tour that first year, and I was gone for about five months uh, right up front. But um, yeah, no, they they were pretty supportive right from the beginning. So um, my dad my dad actually drove truck for a while, so he you know it was kind of a way of sharing a bond with him and. You know, he was talking, you know, I'd be talking on the phone with him and, and he'd call me up and be like, Oh, are you on a uh, highway 80 heading, heading this way and this and that? And, you know, just be like trying to like, and I'm like, I don't know. We use GPS dad. <laughs> Things are different. now. <laughs> That's great. And I think it's neat, you know, from you coming from Idaho, it's just kind of a neat thing also to kind of represent your state, you know, across the U S as well. Yeah. It's funny because one of the questions in the interview, um, was so what what do i think about the the stereotype of idaho being the potato state and of course at the time to be honest i was just like most idahoans where you kind of resent the the stereotype because everyone assumes you're rural potato farmers um and for some reason you think that that's a bad thing and and so you don't like it and so, uh you kind of resent it but i lied and i said i think it's great and now I actually do think it's great. I love it. I think it's fun. I think people who don't like it probably take life a little too seriously, like I used to maybe. Um, but uh, so, yeah, but so now to me, like, I, I love the, the association and um, I, th- I do think it's fun. I think it's, it's uh, just part of our identity and, and it's a way that people know us and can relate to Idaho in some way or another. Yeah. So now after you decided to finish that, you wanted to travel more. What was kind of the next step of the thing that you did? So I always thought my, my big goal was to backpack through South America. South America just seemed like such a rugged and wild place to me at the time. And um, it was just kind of a dream. And so for me, learning Spanish and getting a little travel under my belt was kind of the idea of the tra- study abroad. So I studied in Spain so I could work on my Spanish and I was going to uh, backpack around Europe because I'd have some school money at, at, because at the time uh, Europe was very expensive and I just felt like it was just like a good easy place to to do your first backpacking trip and um, and so after my first tour uh, I started dating a German girl that I had met studying abroad but then um, after I graduated visited her for a month and that's when we started dating and we had the plan of backpacking South America so we went down together and been about five months backpacking and that was really like that was kind of what sealed the deal you know everything's kind of a build-up and I find I it's hard because uh, I'm always encouraging people just to take the leap of faith and go out there and take a big trip and go somewhere crazy but I have to remind myself that I didn't do that and it's it's a really overwhelming for someone who's never traveled before and so my path was more like just take a step here then you build on a little bit more and you build on a little bit more and um, that's kind of how it went. And so after South America, I was, you know, on a high, I felt like I could conquer the world and I wanted to conquer, not conquer, but uh, experience, I guess. I wanted to experience the world. And South America really gave me the energy and, and uh, desire to, to continue on and try and find a way of making it possible. So, and I'm sure you've heard this question a lot. So if you're doing that for five months and obviously you're, you know, you're carrying your stuff, so you're living uh pretty small, but what are you doing to, to make money in order to find a place to sleep or to eat something? What's kind of that process? Cause I think it always seems like so grandiose and wonderful, but then there are elements of like, okay, well, I do have to figure out certain things in order to survive. So how did you do that? Absolutely. So 
You know, there, there's a lot of resources out there if people want to work and travel or at least, you know, exchange work for um, room and board and stuff like that. So there's, a, there's so many tools, so many resources for independent budget traveling. And you'll find that traveling in general is typically cheaper in certain countries is cheaper than actually living where you are. The hard part is the income. I was fortunate because I had this job with the potato tour. And so I was basically pocketing all my money while I was on the road. So, and I don't have a lot, I'm one of those people like, I'm, uh, I've always been pretty good with money and I've also, um, uh, been very low maintenance. So I don't have a lot of expense. I didn't have a lot of bills besides my student loans, the basics of, you know, like a phone bill and health insurance and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I was able to save a lot. So obviously when I was traveling, I was just depleting the funds, but, um, we were super ambitious on that first trip to South America. I think, I mean, my, a lot of my friends know me as being frugal, which I've, um, I decided means that I just spend my money on different things and they don't like it when I don't spend money on things that they like, <laughs> but, uh, I am very frugal on, on a lot of things. I spend my money on, on travel and, and things that are meaningful to me. But the girl I was dating at the time, I think was even cheaper. You know, we'd spend 10 minutes arguing with a taxi driver who we knew was charging us a dollar more than we should for a five mile taxi ride. Then instead of just getting in the car and going, and so, um, you know, we prided ourselves on doing everything super cheaply. I think that uh, our first month of traveling, because we were staying on hammock boats in the Amazon and, and throwing up hammocks in people's backyards and stuff, that uh, we paid for a hostel maybe only, I think it was like a week out of the first month. So um, there's, there's just a lot of ways you can kind of uh, cut back on luxuries or little comforts and stuff in order to prolong your trip and prolong your journey. If, if that's ultimately what, what you're after. I mean, for every, you have to kind of define at the beginning of your trip, you know, what, what are the, what are you wanting to get out of it? What are the elements that are most important to you? And for us, it was, you know, being able to go further um, for longer and experience more of the country and just kind of be there and be among the people more so than spending money on excursions and, and, comfortable beds, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, what would you say, you know, did you have an expectation or something that you felt you were looking for in South America? Uh, and did you find that or what did you kind of learn after that trip? Yeah, you know, I don't know at the time if I did, um, you know, after looking back on it now, knowing what I know now and having heard theories of just like personal development and learning about like native tribes and like rites of passage and, you know, kind of like these testing grounds to, like, to become a man, I guess. Like, I feel like a lot of podcasts I've listened to and some, some speakers I've listened to, they've kind of talked about that concept and how, you know, like we kind of really lack that in today's society. Like everything's just kind of there and it's, and life's just easy. And we kind of begin to associate happiness with comfort. So we buy more things that make us more comfortable, but, I think it's the, that, the consuming that actually um, kind of indicates that we're not as happy and we're just trying to, uh, we're not as happy as we should be or as we'd like to be. And we're just trying to fill that void with uh, possessions. And so, I don't know, for me, I, I, looking back, I'm, I realized in hindsight that it's probably, it's kind of like a rite of passage for me, like going out to a place that I thought was just wild and, and, uh, uh, just off the beaten path and showing that I could survive and I could do it without spending a lot of money and, and, um, and 
it and just kind of, I mean, and it really, it really turned out to be that for me. It, it really built a, a level of confidence in myself and my abilities, my ability to go anywhere and, and, and survive uh, that like it, it's to the point where it almost makes some other places not as exciting anymore because, you know, once you've, once you've kind of plateaued off of uh, somewhere as, as fun as South America, it's hard to find like another big thrill like that. So you got to keep pushing it and going to more extreme parts of the earth. So, I mean, in hindsight, I really think that that's what it came down to. It, it seemed like a rite of passage and uh, kind of a way of, or kind of a, uh, method for finding my own way and, and showing what I could do and stuff like that. I, I probably didn't think of it like that at the time, but looking back, it seems like it kind of fits along that, that dialogue. Yeah. And I, I mean, now kind of even looking at what you're doing now, it, it all makes sense because you can see the growth and confidence in the stuff that you're doing. So after you got back from that trip, what was, you know, you said, okay, I've already experienced this. That was kind of my initial dream or goal. Where did you decide to go next? Was it at any point that you were like, okay, I want to go back home to Idaho. I think I want to, you know, be closer to family and do something like that. Or was it always like, nope, where's the next thing? I want to travel more. Yeah. So I, the, I actually cut my trip a little short in South America. The girl I was dating actually stayed down there and volunteered for three months. And I, I volunteered for two weeks and then flew back because I was having some family issues that um, were kind of bugging me and I wanted to go back and see if I could help out. And so I, I ended up cutting my trip short, but then like most things in life, you go back and you realize there's just certain things you can't change and certain things out of your control. So um, I uh, was planning on going and visiting my girlfriend again in Germany when she got back. And so we spent about, I think it was three months apart. So I was back home for three months and uh, during that three months, I just, I kind of, I've always been kind of entrepreneurial. I, I, I like doing my own thing and, and work on my own projects and, kind of creating things. So I had a little business that I was doing there so I could stay flexible for when I wanted to go to Germany. And, um, I was going on some adventures. I went and climbed Mount Rainier in, in Washington with a buddy. And, and I was really just like enjoying the Boise summer because I, I had, I missed it the year before traveling with potato truck. And, uh, and I love the summers in Boise. So it was really exciting just going back and catching with friends. Cause that was, you know, the second, second time that I'd been gone for so long and, um, or no third time. Cause I studied abroad in Spain. Then I went on the potato tour and then I was gone in South America. So for the past three years, I've been missing summers and, and missing a lot of the things I really love about home. So, um, you definitely realize one of my favorite parts about traveling is going home and, uh, and catching up with everybody. So I've definitely learned to appreciate where I'm from a lot more. So it was that I really just enjoyed my time at home and then was preparing to go to Germany, which was the, the next step. So I went to Germany at the end of that year for three, three months to um, visit my girlfriend at the time and, and uh, learn some German culture. So now when you were in Idaho, you said you had a little bit of a business. What type of business were you doing at that time? So at that time, I, got, I had bought some equipment and I was converting uh, people's uh, like digital not digital. I was converting their media to digital. Uh, I'm, I'm messing that up. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so people have like, I was trying to take people's old like pictures and videos from like their old VHS tapes or camcorder tapes and converting them to uh, digital media so they could put them on their computer and back them up and share them a lot easier. 
Well, that, yeah, that's, that's a good uh, skill to have. Cause I, <laughs> if you were, you know, doing anything before the early two thousands, you definitely have a ton of those things. So that's a good idea. Now, um, did you find when you came back to Boise, because I've heard this a lot from people who travel that people treated you as the person you were when you left or were they open to kind of this new person you had grown into having been away for so long? You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, people, and it, and like I said, it's hard looking back now because people just know me as the guy who's always going to leave now. Um, you know, the, there's that classic feeling of like not relating to people. And obviously when you grow, when you go to different parts of the world and you're growing and developing, like you just, people tend to grow apart just because, you know, you don't have, you're not in the same environment to uh, kind of develop similar interests and stuff anymore. And, but I never, I've actually never felt like that, that kind of uh, reverse culture shock where I come back and I'm like, oh, no one understands me. Everyone only cares about stupid materialistic things here. I've, I've just, I've, I've always tried to avoid having that kind of mentality because I think it's unproductive and I think it's um, kind of elitist. And, but uh, I, the hard part I found at first was, you know, coming back and trying to get back in social circles. So, you know, it's funny because I talk about with a lot of people, like the crazy um, strength of relationships that you uh, build when you meet people on the road. So you can meet someone in the Amazon and spend three days with them. And if you even are even two hours away from where they live on the other side of the world, they're going to drive that two hours to see you because you guys shared this special moment in time. And you know, this might be someone that you would never have got along with back home, but because you guys shared something um, so intimate and in such a vulnerable place, like you just become really good friends and really close. And then like you go home and I was home for three months and people I'd grown up with or some of my best friends from high school, like I couldn't even get together to hang out the whole three months I was there, you know, and it's not a fault of theirs. I mean, there's also an imbalance of the fact that I had a lot of time because I was not like working like they were, but also they just, they had their routines and, and uh, you know, they, not that they had written me off, but it just wasn't a, a priority. Um, and where I'm on this high, uh, it, uh, you know, created kind of an imbalance in the expectations. And so for them, their timeline, they, they, they approach a timeline differently because they're in the same place and there's always the next weekend. There's always next month. And, you know, I just got back from where a place where I'm like, I'm only in a place for a few days, so I have to make the most out of everything. And so it was hard aligning those different perceptions of time. Um, and then also too, it's, I've always like, I hate saying I'm humble because, <laughs> uh, I, that assumes that I'm like great or something like that. And I don't like that, but I mean, I, I've always, I'm a very happy person and I'm happy with my decisions and I'm happy with where I'm at in life. And so when it's, it can be hard relating going back when you, and you like talk to people like, Hey, so what's going on in your life? What are you doing? And they're like, Oh, you know, I had a kid, you know, just, just working. And that's all they say. And, you know, I'm like, to me, I'm like, that's cool if that's what you're doing. But I mean, it bums me out that you're not excited about it. And, it, and it's always made me feel self-conscious about being excited about what I'm doing or the way I'm living because other people aren't excited about what they're doing or how they're living. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of made it another imbalance, created another imbalance in 
kind of talking and catching up. And so at the end of the day, like, we're like, Oh, we have really nothing to talk about <laughs> uh, because I I'm too self-conscious to tell you about my stories and the things I enjoy. And uh, you just have nothing that you want to say. So yeah, I, that, I that was, have, <laughs> I've been there. I think it's, um, I don't know. It, it's sometimes challenging because some people don't know how to be happy for others if they're not happy themselves. And so, yeah, you kind of feel yeah. that weird, balance where you're like, oh, well, I don't want to feel like I'm bragging and I want to hear what they're doing, but they're not willing to share. And it creates this kind of awkward tension between people. Yeah, exactly. It just, yeah. And it's, it's interesting dynamics. You don't want to, I don't want to sound boastful. I never want to sound boastful, but I also, I also resent that I have that I, it's all myself. It's all internal. I feel like I need to be self-conscious about it because I should, I should be able to be happy and be able to, um, you know, kind of celebrate like my happiness and whatnot. And, and that's why like, I've always admired people who, who don't care and, but are able to do it like in a way that doesn't seem boastful. And, you know, I watched the Tony Robbins documentary a while back and, you know, he's, he's a very, I think that he became more controversial after that for some people, like some people really hated like his style. I thought it was interesting, but I, I love that, you know, he's, he's kind of that guy. He's like, it, he's gonna he's gonna call you on your shit. I'm sorry. Can we cuss on this? Part? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You're good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I should have confirmed that. Uh, he, but he's gonna call you on your shit. And so, like, normally, like, you know, if with me, like, when someone's like, oh man, you know, I'm just I'm just working, living and working, you know, same old thing. And it's kind of like down, like normally I'm like, oh, I hear you, man. Yes, life's tough. This and that. I kind of you know, placated or placated or however you say that word. Um, but. Uh, but he's like, well, what, what, the, why the hell aren't you going to change it? What are you doing about it? You know, like get off your ass. Let's fix this. Come <laughs> I'm like, I respect that, you know, like, because uh, like his theory is, you know, like he's not going to allow someone just to wallow in their misery. He's going to either, he's either going to motivate you to uh, make you realize that you can change or, or, uh, or he's, or you're not going to like him. But at the same time, if you, you, probably shouldn't be hanging out with too many people who are just always down in the dumps about life because they're ultimately just gonna, you know, make, bring you into their pity party. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's all about who you surround yourself with. And, you know, I was talking to a friend recently, you know, as we grow as people, you outgrow certain people in your life and it's, it's not against anyone or any, you know, someone's done something wrong. It's just, you're going in different directions um, yeah. and it does, it makes a difference, you know, who you surround yourself with and the right people should be happy for you and encouraging you. Yeah. Two, two, uh, philosophy. I, I, one quote I've always loved, um, is, uh, like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to, you want to become better, you got to surround yourself by better people or people that are doing things that are, are in places that you want to be or have qualities that you want to have. But then also, I, I, I'm, a, I'm considering myself a, a minimalist, and the, the guys who kind of created that movement wrote the book, The Minimalist. You know, they, they, they had that same approach that you have to like material possessions, but with friends. And it, and it sounds bad because obviously people aren't possessions and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's more so about the mentality that, you know, a lot of times we're friends with people because we have either one history with them or geographically they're just close. And those are like the, the, constructs of our bonds and what's sustaining them but ultimately like as you said people grow apart and we outgrow each other we grow in different directions and so um you know there's no reason that we can't you know go through our relationships and say okay like this these people are holding me back from my goals like we're just different people now it's great that we we played football together in high school 
and we had all this stuff in common then, but we don't now. And it's okay to realize that and realize that we, um, not, not that we can't be friends or we can't be cordial or we can't catch up every once in a while, but we don't need to spend, um, as much time together, uh, when we could be, you know, doing things that are important to both of us. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Now, going through, uh, how many countries and states have you been to now? So I, I had to just add up the, the country. I, I, I'll be honest, I hate that question just because <laughs> I, I, I don't like to think that I'm like putting notches in the belt for, you know, country catching and stuff. And I, and I hate pretending like I know anything about France just because I've been to Paris. But uh, numbers-wise, I think I've been to about 34 countries. And then state-wise think about 46 45 or 46 and so you've been to so many different places and it's funny because I even feel like in the U.S. every state can be so different you know has its own culture in a sense what has been either one of your favorite places or most surprising places that you've been to whether it's a country or a state Oh, so I, I try to divide up my favorites and I've never been good at favorites, but I, when I, when I'm forced to answer this, I, I have like my favorites by category. So like cultural wise, I've always just found it absolutely thrilling to go to places that are culturally very different than the U S. So for me, that was, um, Morocco when I, we went on a, a four day trip from Spain um, it was Istanbul. It was amazing seeing the, like the differences between Istanbul and Morocco, both, you know, majority uh, Muslim countries, but like one's way more, Istanbul was so much more Westernized than, uh, than Morocco. And I know like different parts of Turkey aren't as, aren't as Westernized, but Istanbul, like people were drinking in the streets. No one's, no one's uh, praying when the call to prayer would come on in Morocco, people are pulling over their cars and, and getting out their mats and, and, and praying during the call to prayer. And so India was also very thrilling. I loved India. It's a very overwhelming country, but it's, it's just so magical in so many ways. But then like overall, like India is up there. Colombia is one of my favorite countries um, just all around. It's beautiful. The people are amazing. And uh, I just love the Caribbean vibes, um, which that's why I'm, I'm so excited to be here in Mexico now. And, it, and just being in Cozumel and on the coast of the Riviera Maya reminds me of just those Caribbean vibes and that laid back lifestyle. Um, and obviously Brazil, Brazil's got so much going on for it. I've always been enchanted by the rainforest. And so the trips I've done there were, were definitely uh, bucket list items and Croatia. Croatia is just one that's really surprised me, um, for its natural beauty. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like writing your list down of like, hmm, where do I want to go next? So now are most of these trips that you did, were they by yourself? Were they with a group? Were you doing something where again, you know, you kind of worked odd jobs? Like, can you give us some just logistical stuff uh, that was kind of part of the whole thing? Yeah, so um, my backpacking trip in Europe was just after my semester abroad. And I, I went with, I went over there with no plans of traveling with anybody, but um, I ended up making making friends in my program and I traveled with a guy and a girl who were dating. So I was kind of third wielded around Europe. And then, um, in South America, I was with a, a German girl I was dating. And, um, when I went to Colombia, I went with my buddy Adam. And so we traveled together for two months in mostly Colombia and a little bit of Peru. Um, my European trips, like there, a lot of those were when I was dating the German girl. So we did some more travel around Europe. And in India, I had met an Argentinian girl in Colombia. And so we were traveling together in, in India and Sri Lanka. 
So most of my, most of my trips have been with someone else. I, I've done a little bit of solo travel, which I absolutely love because it is true freedom. And it, you really know what freedom is when you can kind of like just genuinely just go anywhere and do anything you want whenever you want and without having to constantly compromise and check in with someone else. Um, and then you can, it's just so much easier to uh, meet people and interact um, with other travelers uh, as, as you go. But I did that in Thailand for a bit. And um, I was going to do it down here in Mexico when I, before I got this job because I made the top 10 and I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating actually getting it. So I was going to stay down here and travel for longer and take advantage of the free flights. But uh, um, I ended up getting the job. So that cut my cut into my possibility for a solo trip. So now as you were doing all these, these trips, uh, I assume you were doing a lot of filming and blogging and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was experimenting with it. I've done some different formats. Um, I, in Colombia, I was just doing like single take uh, videos because video editing is just so time consuming. And, and so it's, and especially when you're traveling with someone else, it, it's very difficult to stay on top of it and you got to carry more gear, um, you know, a more expensive computer that can, has the capacity to, to do some light video editing. Um, that was a problem in my relationship with the Argentinian girl because I was working and she wasn't, <laughs> and she didn't like that. Um, and so it, um, that was, that's always been the goal as I post South America, South America as after South America, I really got the idea that, um, because people were asking me how I was traveling and how I was getting around and, uh, you know, how I was able to save for it. So I wanted to start sharing it and encouraging more people to, or showing people that they could get out there and do it themselves too. Um, and that's not super expensive to travel in these places. But, um, so it was after South America that I started trying to share them. So I created a blog online um, I started doing YouTube videos and I've kind of played with it, but I've been super inconsistent, unfortunately, um, just because I'm most, I, ha- I like doing a lot of different things. And, and, um, when those, when my hobbies don't pay the bills, it can be harder to, uh, to, uh, justify the time doing them sometimes. So, um, now that you're the Cancun experience officer, let's talk about how you got that job because, um, you know, there was thousands of people that applied. Was this something that, happened because you had already kind of created a following and work, you know, with your videos and traveling and everything, or this was kind of a separate project that you started doing to become a part of this? Yeah. So this, this was different. So the, the job position itself was a marketing campaign itself. So, I mean, there was a launch of a website that, um, was kind of being redone and had uh, two partners working on it and cancun.com is just a, a very, uh, very powerful domain name. And so they wanted to relaunch it and revamp it and everything because Cancun is a huge tourist destination. And so part of, you know, the launch, they decided to do this job search. And so they made it a lucrative salary and you're living in paradise, sharing your experiences. And so, you know, it's, it's a dream job. And obviously like, you know, it's, everyone's going to want to read about everyone's going to want to apply for it. So all the media is going to want to share it so that they can get the clicks. And so, I mean, it's, it was a beautiful marketing campaign, but also, they also need the content. And so they need someone who's actually adequate at creating content. And so, um, it was, there were several rounds of the job. Um, they had 8,000 people apply as about 6,000 teams in total. And, uh, you had to make a one minute video about yourself. So I just kind of touched into my experience, um, being in front of the camera, 
Um, I also host an Amazon Prime show. I, I created content for the marketing tour. And, um, and then I also have my own travel blog and I live the travel lifestyle. And, um, and so then I made the top 120 and then we had to make a second video. And I made one about my hometown and a New Year's celebration we have called the Potato Drop. We dropped a potato at midnight. And, um, and so I tried to, so I guess a little backstory on this. Um, there was a job search, job campaign like this when I got back from South America. So it was called John Teru's Chief World Explorer. And it was the best job around the world. And it was like a $100,000 contract to travel for 52 weeks at, each week in a new location, um, kind of creating videos and blogs about the different locations and stuff. And so I applied for that. Um, about 3,000 people applied for that job. I made top 50 and then it was a voting process again. And I actually was in the number, number four position when the voting ended and I didn't make the final five to go to Abu Dhabi or Dubai. I can't remember which way they, where they went. Um, and, uh, and actually like compete for the final job, but I received a lot of great feedback. Um, and I'd never, never done anything like that. I never produced a video before. And I was going against people who had these big followings on Facebook. And that was kind of, I didn't really know that there was like travel bloggers and people were, this is like before the term influencer, I think really came about. Um, and so, um, I kind of learned a lot from that experience. I, the feedback I got from it was that my video was too narrow to like an adventure demographic and they wanted someone that would appeal a little bit more. And so, um, looking at my approach to this job application was to try and highlight what I thought, uh, would make me stand out or at least, you know, might be like, my strengths instead of trying to and trying to match instead of trying to match everybody in video editing or videography because there's some amazing people out there in the the travel world and content creators that that, that whole world's just completely evolved um, since that job the other job application was open um, and so I tried to focus on my personality and my uh, my experience with on the potato tour I think is very practical and my comfort from the camera because I figured majority of the work would be me in front of the camera. And so I tried to show a little diversity or diversity in my skill set, and it, it seemed to work. I made the top 10 and I kept telling myself, if I make the top 10, I'm going to get the job because I'm going to go down there and I'm going to sell myself. And, and once they meet me, like I can, you know, I, I feel like I'm a lot better in person. And, uh, so when I got the, got the top 10 call, it was just, I was just blown away because there were just so many talented people. And some people had like a million followers on Instagram. There were people with hundreds of thousands of YouTube subscribers and people with really engaging followings. And, you know, but none of us knew what they were looking for. And the voting was just a small element um, in the, in the process. And so we were all trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to cater to their needs. And um, ultimately like the 10 they picked surprised a lot of people. And uh, I was just super excited to be, to be, to be going down there and, and I was, I rode a high when I got down to Cancun for the final 10, um, selection. Um, but then after at, by the end of it, I figured it could go either way. Cause there was four couples, five individuals and one family. And I had no idea what they were looking for. And there were just so many pros and cons and everyone was just so talented, so different, but so talented, um, that I was just like, I was just like, oh, I'm just grateful to be here. And I'm excited that I have a chance to travel around before going home. So and then you got it. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. And then, then I got it. <laughs> so uh, were you completely shocked? And did they tell you why you were chosen? So it's, it's interesting because I, 
just like the first few months of the campaign, it was a roller coaster where I'd be like, I, I could do this. I have a chance. And I'd be like, uh, and I'd look at everybody's videos and I'm like, uh, this was fun. Well, at least I tried. And then, um, so when I got down there, just kind of the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to get this. I know I can do it. Um, I was very optimistic, very positive, good self-talk. And then, you know, like, and we're having a great time, but then, so part of the, part of the decision was based on creating a video in the area. So the tourism board, Cancun tourism board sent everybody to different places, different activities with every, like use sometimes with at least two people at each activity. And so it was interesting. We, we get to see people's different styles and how they covered the same place. And I got super lucky and got Nativa natural park, which is this beautiful like eco reserve two hours from Cancun. That's like, it's kind of new and underdeveloped and it's, Totally, totally my kind of thing. Totally something I believe in. And um, I was able to, you know, create a storyline that really resonated with, with the judges. And then I also, you know, like I like to do interject my personality and kind of make myself the butt of the joke um, throughout it while presenting like on something a little deeper. That was my goal anyways. I mean, I, it was it was all done in hindsight after I looked at my footage. But um, uh and so that was, so I felt really good about it. We had about 24 hours to edit everything. And so, which is not a lot of time people who are familiar with video editing to go back, like scrub through all your footage and organize it, create a storyline and then edit it. And I have finished mine. My hand was shaking just because I was like so nervous. I was like putting music on 10 minutes before we had to leave to go to the viewing ceremony where we view everybody's videos. And, and that was kind of how it worked out. Like I, I was like feeling really good about mine. And then I, sat there and I watched the other nine videos and I'm like, well, this was fun. <laughs> you know, like it's they're just like, everyone was so different, but everyone was so, I mean, everyone was so talented that I was like, you know, it's just, I mean, I've got a 10% chance at this, but you know, which is just, and everyone I feel like was on pretty equal ground. And, and so I was hopeful. Um, I felt like I did really well in my interview and we talked more specifically about the vision and the goal for the six months and stuff. And, you know, I, I definitely, I tried to spend a lot of time with the judges, um, you know, just in the, the five days, like I definitely had a strategy going into it. Um, and apparently, I, I mean, I guess it worked. Uh, I never know. I don't know all the details about the selection process. I know, like, you know, I, I found out that I was actually the number 10 pick. So I was like on the fence of not even making a top 10. Um, and then, you know, I, I felt really, so I guess I was overconfident going into it, <laughs> which is what that told me. And then I think by the end of it, I was maybe in the top five, but they were kind of leaning towards couple, I think. And that's kind of the vibe I got. Um, but ultimately what sold it for them was my video. And um, I, I like to think that some of the other stuff I did um, behind the scenes, like I just wanted them to get to know my personality and how I'm laid back I am. Cause I know this is going to, I knew this was going to be a, a stressful job at times. It's going to be busy. Um, you're going to be coordinating people who sometimes don't speak English. Um, things aren't going to run on time always. And, and, uh, and I just have the experience to do that. And it's a very high energy job for six months. And the risk of burnout um, is very real. As, as much as many pictures I'm going to post laying in hammocks and of nice beaches, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly like trying to think of storylines for new videos and, and meeting with people and trying to plan out next trip. And, and so, um, and trying to capture content all at the same time and do it on social media with pictures and with video. And so um, it's definitely very busy, but it's all things that I love doing. Um, so I tried to just, you know, I tried to show them that I'd be able to handle it, especially for six months and tried to make sure I had a lot of face time with the judges. So 
And I actually lost out on about two and a half hours of video editing because I just sat at dinner and just chatted with two of the guys that were, I knew were going to be, you know, in on the final decision. And like I said, I don't know if that helped, but I like to think it did. Um, even if in their minds that they, they, they were telling themselves they, it wasn't going to change like their, uh, objective analysis of me, you know, you can't help how you feel about someone if you like them. And so I wanted the judges to like me. Um, but I was also just trying to be myself because I didn't want to give them an unrealistic expectation about, what I can and can't do. So that was kind of the strategy going from, from my eyes going into it, just focus, once again, focusing on my personality because, um, you know, uh, as far as videography and editing goes, like I wasn't the best person there. Um, and, uh, but I think sometimes I can come up with a good storyline and I can try and interject some personality into it. And so that was the goal for the, the five days down in Cancun. And I, from what I hear, like it was, they're, they're, you know, I wasn't leaning towards the number one. They weren't leaning towards me for their pick. And then they saw my video and, and that's what, what kind of sold them on it. They really liked it. That's so cool. That is, I'm like sitting here like smiling. I'm like, this is just so awesome. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, from speaking with you, you are very confident. Um, you're a very much a hard worker yet laid back at the same time. And you really seem to know your strengths and know how to play to them. Where do you think your ability to be and do all that comes from? Is that something you always had? Is that something that you think you developed through travel? I think there's certain elements I've always had. I've always been a hard worker. Um, I have a hard time half-assing anything. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't like to. I hate the way it reflects on me. And, and I just have pride in my work. And I like to do a good job for people. So I think that's something that was instilled for me. Um, I had a kind of a yin and yang um, home life at my dad's house, everything was really laid back. My mom's was much more organized. And so I got like the, a lot of discipline from my mom's, my upbringing, my mom's, but I also got a lot of you know, like work ethic. My dad, my dad was a hard worker and I, I worked with him a lot, you know, pulling nails out of reclaimed lumber for five cents a nail. <laughs> I may be somewhere, maybe it was built in somewhere from that. But, uh, I think the confidence aspect has just come from experience. Um, there's just really, it's really hard to uh, just replace that. I mean, replace just good, hard experience. And I, you know, I look back and I was actually kind of an introvert or I was kind of shy when I was younger, when I remember back. Um, and even like a lot of people find me outgoing. It all depended on like the group I was in, but my, my outgoingness, my personality comes out in different settings and, Unfortunately, the, the setting with the other, the other teams was amazing. Like they were just amazing people. So it was so easy to vibe off of them. And they actually brought out the best side of me. And I, I told them that I was like, I think you guys sold your own fate because you guys brought out the best side of me. Um, so thank you guys uh, for that. But um, I, I, I do actually attribute a lot of it to travel. I think traveling has given me a lot of confidence um, just in overall abilities. And I, I, I think that, one thing I talk about, I did a presentation with high school students and they, it, re, it required me to reflect on my evolution as a traveler and as a person. And what I realized was that, you know, when you're, when you're in a, an environment that's comfortable, when you're around friend, friends and family, like you've built, you spent so much time investing in this persona and in this way you want to be perceived. And, and then they develop expectations and they see you in a certain way. And so you try to live up to those expectations. So in the end, like you don't actually know like who you really are outside of this, this thing you've created. And 
but travel kind of like when you go somewhere where no one knows you and in a culture where you're the weird one and you're forced to kind of survive and plan and coordinate everything on your own. And, you know, there's no one there to take care of you. There's no fallback. Uh, you really learn a lot about yourself and it strips away a lot of those layers you've spent years building up. And I think that travel really gave me a lot of insights into myself, um, which has made me a more confident person and also just helped me, you know, understand myself, uh, both my strengths and weaknesses. And um, just, I don't know, it just made me a lot more well-rounded and, and uh, more reflective. And I think that really helped me develop a strategy, but also gave me the confidence to uh, just go out there and tackle some of these opportunities I've been given. I mean, it's great. You can definitely hear it in your voice and your story. And, uh, and it's, I don't, it's just really cool because it's just a very different life, I think, than most people have. And to hear some of the details of kind of how it came about. For somebody that is, you know, listening to this and is like, oh, my God, I would love to do that. What would you suggest that their first step be? Um, as far as like going out and traveling or? Yeah, to travel, uh, to do, to travel and or to do something they've always wanted to do that maybe is new and out of their comfort zone. I know I would just, uh, so for traveling, I mean, there's, it all depends on kind of uh, what obstacles you have. Cause everyone's kind of got different obstacles in front of them, depending on their socioeconomic situation and different social pressures in their lives and stuff like that, obviously. And, you know, maybe bad decisions that they've already made that they're still paying for. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, so that one's kind of tough, but I think that there's a lot of things you can do to, you know, start taking care of maybe, uh, you know, maybe some debt that you have or some obligations you have that might restrict you from traveling and then, and just start planning. And so, you know, keeping yourself motivated by researching places you want to go, starting to save, starting to pay off bills. Um, it all like the, I, I would recommend, I think the easiest thing to do would be to recommend reading Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Uh, it's one of my favorite books and it's the book I wish I would have wrote because I just, I really connected with it. And it, it kind of takes you through that process of um, developing a life where you can take a long-term trip and, uh, and, a big part of that process is the preparation um, because it's going to make you prepared and make you the person and help you become the person you need to be on the road. Um, and so that preparation is a big, big part of the, the journey. And then as far as like, you know, chasing after your dreams and, and going after a job you love, I, I, the world is just, it's so amazing now with all the, the tools we have for sharing ourselves and getting our content out there. I've just learned that, by taking risks, putting yourself out, out there, making yourself uncomfortable and, and learning to be okay with it is, is the best thing you can do that. So that, that video I created, um, for that last, that other job application that I didn't get John Teru's chief world explorer. It was a, is a video about my home of Boise, Idaho. And it's my most popular video on YouTube. It's not, not nothing big. I have about a hundred thousand views on it, but it's been my, it's continued to be my most popular video. And it's actually what gave me the exposure I needed to get some other jobs. So because I had that video on YouTube and just because I was throwing out content and, and making it a little easier to find me, um, the show Fireball Run on Amazon Prime found me and uh, told me to uh, audition to be their host. So I became the host of their show, which you know, greatly increased my confidence speaking in front of the camera and um, you know, presenting in front of people because I MC banquets every night for them that 
when we're on the road filming in front of hundreds of people. And I would never have had that opportunity if I hadn't just put myself out there. And it's, it's hard and it's scary to, uh, to record yourself and upload it for everyone to watch or to write something really personal and then put it on the internet for people to read and judge and critique. Cause there are some mean, nasty people out there, but, uh, but you just got to do it. You got to work through it and you you'll get better. And it's one of those things like I watch that video now and everyone says this about their first blog post, their first podcast interview, their first, whatever you go back um, after you've had a lot of, a lot more experience and you watch it or you read it, or you listen to it and you just cringe and you're like, I hope no one ever finds this. <laughs> but the funny thing is people still watch the video and people still enjoy it. And you just realize like you're your own worst critic, but you also, you evolve and you adapt and you find and you slowly build a community and it's not something that happens overnight. Um, I've been at it for a long time and I guess I would, I would consider this my first big break being the Cancun experience officer. And it's, it's definitely reassuring that, you know, at least a little of the effort I've, I put in over the last few years is paying off, but um, I was never in it for the money to begin with. I think too, um, it's important to have a goal that transcends fame and, and money because you know, a year into it, if you're not getting that, you're not going to be motivated anymore. And for me, I just always enjoy, I I enjoy capturing moments. I enjoy sharing moments and I enjoy sharing my passion and hopefully encouraging others to take that step. And so for me, that is why I continue to do it, even though it was, it was difficult and it strained relationships and stuff. I just, I, I I enjoy doing it for more than um, monetary purposes. Uh, it's awesome. I, I really, like I said, I, I love doing these podcasts because I get to meet some incredible people that I never would have met otherwise. And it's just really neat to hear just how sure of yourself you are and how confident you are and how you're just doing what you want to do. And it's really beautiful to, to hear and to kind of watch online as well. So is there a place that people can follow you, whether it's your website or social media? Yeah, I'd say the best um, right now, just because I'm I'm creating content for Cancun.com's platform. So I'll be um, I post a lot. I do a lot of Instagram stories for Cancun.com, and I'll be I post on the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, but also, like if you want to reach out to me personally and get my direct line, um, I'm Ivan the Intrepid at Ivan the Intrepid on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I also have the website, but. Um, if, if, if I thought I was bad at uploading content then, like I definitely have no time for it now because all my, all the content I produce right now is for Cancun.com, but I do still monitor my social medias. It might take me a little bit longer these days to get back to you since I'm kind of uh, working on two different accounts, but uh, Ivan the Intrepid or Cancun.com definitely come and follow my journey down here because I love the interaction and um, I want to know what people want to know about this area of the world. Great. And the last question I like to ask all my guests is what is one word or quote or mantra that you try to live by every single day? The cop out one I would go with is don't sweat the petty stuff, just pet the sweaty stuff. That's always been my (laughs) mantra. I've just because I'm a very, I've always uh, had very sweaty hands. And so when I heard that, I was like, that's mine. That's my mantra. But um, I don't know. I, that's tough. Let me think for a second there. I don't know. I guess I'd have to go with one. I I feel like I tell people a lot because I think people stress too much and we all know stress is unproductive, but uh, I just always tell people, I'm like, you do what you can and forget the rest. 
And uh, as long as you're doing that, you'll be, as long as you can remember that and actually live by it, which is the hard part, I think you'll be fine. Cause uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are outside our control and um, uh, so we shouldn't worry about them. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ivan, for your time. And I look forward to seeing all the stuff you do for Cancun.com and for your future stuff. Thank you, Carrie. This was a real pleasure. You have a great voice for podcasting, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review over on iTunes. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, be sure to message me over on Instagram at Kerry, K-E-R-I dot N dot Roberts. Remember that each of us has something that makes us great. So go out there and show the world what makes you extraordinary.